gracious and loving Heavenly Father. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins and our great desire, Lord, is to know him more. And we thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to give us your resurrection power in our lives, to work through us, to reach the world around us with the gospel. We thank you for the uniting power of your Holy Spirit, that believers who are all over the world are still one church, worshiping the one true holy God. I pray, Father, as we look into your word today, that you would guide us, that your spirit would speak to each of us and help us to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Last week, in the first 11 verses, we discussed Jesus as our high priest chosen by God according to the order of Melchizedek. We ended last week with Paul saying that he had a lot to discuss concerning Melchizedek, but it was hard to explain because of the dullness of his audience's hearing. If you go back and read chapter 5, verse 11, um, he says, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. And we didn't really get into that last week, but we're going to do it now. The word for dull there means sluggish, lazy, or slothful. Right? So it wasn't that they were unable to hear. They had got lazy or become lazy in their listening. Two very different things. And because they had become lazy in their treatment of God's word, Paul said, it's going to be difficult for me to explain the things concerning Melchizedek. Now, we're going to get into that when we get to chapter 7. And, oh, it's going to be so much fun. I love talking about Melchizedek, but not yet. We talked a little bit last week. We'll talk a lot in chapter 7, which will probably be in a couple more weeks, because we have some other stuff to deal with in chapter 6 first. But as a result, Paul will now exhort all of us, the original audience he wrote to, and everybody who reads the book of Hebrews today, concerning spiritual maturity and our progression in Christ. In Hebrews 4.12, we were taught that the word of God is living, powerful, sharp, and discerning. Today, we are going to be exhorted as to what we do with God's living and powerful word. So we're going to read verse 5, chapter 5, sorry, verse 12, through chapter 6, verse 3. I say it a lot, that chapters and verses are not divinely inspired, um, I would love to just stop at chapter 6, right? But that's not where it actually stops. I don't know how the people, when they put the chapters and verses in, couldn't see that, but it happens quite often in Scripture. It seems to be happening a lot in the book of Hebrews. Some of the other books are a little better, but they've just divided Hebrews up really oddly, in my opinion. So, chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the baptism, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. I would apologize in advance, but I'm not going to. I'm going to give this caveat. A lot of what I'm going to say today is going to sound harsh. And it's not meant to make you feel guilty, because that's not my deal. It's not meant to make you feel ashamed, because that's not my deal. It's meant to encourage you and to challenge you. And if the Holy Spirit convicts you, well, that's between you and him. Don't blame me. You can blame me a little. So in the first couple verses, in verses 12 and 13, in chapter 5, he goes, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe, and that's babe as in baby, not babe as in Chris Hemsworth. Well, everybody got that. My mom laughed at that, just so you know, but that's okay if you didn't. And my son, thank you. Uh, so Paul begins by pointing out that those he, are, he is writing to should be teachers of the word by now. Right? They, should, they have been Christians long enough that they should be able to teach the word. But instead... They need someone to teach them the basics of the oracles or the spoken words of God. They need milk and not solid food because they are unskilled in the word of righteousness like a babe. Now, this word for babe here means an infant who cannot speak yet. So a very, very young, small and I think there are too many people, I'm going to take that back, I know there are too many people who call themselves followers of Christ who are unskilled in handling the word of God. So I'm going to drop some fun statistics. And I hope, just listen to these because they were a bit shocking to me. According to recent statistics, only 11% of Americans regularly read the Bible. Even though 54% of Americans believe our nation would be worse off without the Bible. So I want you to think about that. Right? You got out of 100%, 11% of people think that, yeah, only 11% of people actually do it, but half of them think that it's a good idea. Right? So think about that. That's like eating vegetables. How many people in here recognize that it's good for your health to eat vegetables? Right? Most of us would say we recognize that. How many of us do it? I'm going to put my hand on the floor. Right? With the Bible, it's the same way. 
Now, surely since I'm talking about quote-unquote Americans, those statistics must be significantly better among Christians. They're, they're a little bit better, but not a lot better. According to LifeWay research, only 32% of Christians read the Bible every day. This is in spite of the fact that there are significant, tangible benefits to reading the Bible. According to LifeWay research, there are nine tangible benefits to reading the Bible. And I love these nine statistics. So LifeWay Research, check it out. They've done a lot of work. They, they're very, very cool. Um, but according to their research, if you read the Bible every day, well, actually, it's if you read the Bible four days a week or more. But I'm going to say you should read the Bible every day. Um, feelings of loneliness are reduced by 30%. Anger issues decrease by 32%. Bitterness in relationships, and that's all relationships, right? Marriage relationships, family relationships, relationships at work, wherever. Bitterness in relationships drops 40%. It gets better. Alcoholism drops 57% if you read the Bible four plus days a week. Feeling spiritually stagnant, right? Feeling like your faith isn't going anywhere drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Sharing your faith jumps 200%. And discipling others jumps 230%. That's reading the Bible four plus days a week. The unfortunate reality is that despite these benefits, and despite the number of people who claim to be disciples or apprentices of Christ, you've probably heard me say that a lot recently. Uh, I'm reading a book by Dallas Willard called The Renovation of the Heart fantastic. Highly recommend it, but prepare to take a long time to read it. It's, it's not one of those books, oh, I'll just read through this and no, 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 no. It's not like that. There's another book I read like that called uh, Killing Kryptonite by John Devere. It's one of those books you read a chapter and then you hide it for a while because you don't want to go back into it until you can process what you just read. Uh, Renovation of the Heart's not that bad, but it's deep. Uh, and one of the things he points out is the word disciple in, in the Greek, can also mean an apprentice. And because Jesus is our master, we are his apprentices, and we should be learning, growing to be like him. Which is a very uh, interesting way to look at it. We don't always think of it that way. But as though, since there are so many people who claim to be disciples of Christ, those who seriously engage in the word of God on a daily basis are a very small number. And his word is more available to us now than it has been to any other people group or generation in history. Yet there are fewer people who read, understand, and obey God's word today than in many generations past. And I'm talking about people groups as us in the United States. Right? E even though that has increased worldwide, for those of us in the United States, 
you know, most people in the world, you know, places like we were learning about Africa and whatnot, it's hard for them to get a Bible, let alone multiple translations, let alone a translation in their own language. Now, I'm not ashamed of this. I have so many Bibles. I actually have a box of them in my basement that I don't look at. On top of about, I think I have 10 or 12 in my office. I have several scattered throughout the house because when I'm in bed at night and I want to read the Bible before I go to bed, well, I don't want to walk out to the living room and grab the Bible I have sitting out there. Dead serious. And I'm not ashamed of that. I love that I have Bibles all over the place because we need them. But there are places in the world where they get one Bible and they'll tear a page out of it and they'll copy that page down and then they'll pass that page on to a friend of theirs who's a Christian and they'll copy that page down and then it gets and that's the only way they get any of the word of God and if you have a smartphone and the version app which I highly recommend it's a fantastic app you actually have access to something like 300 English translations of the Bible we have the word of God. We are saturated with the word of God. But how many of us constantly read it, understand it, and obey? And God is warning us through this passage not to be those people. To not be the ones who need to have the first principles taught to us again because we are infants concerning God's word. And he goes on in verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason have use, uh, of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So solid food belongs to those who are of full age, which is another way of saying those who are mature in Christ, who by growth have reached completeness in mental and moral character. What is the difference between milk and solid food in reference to the scripture. Well, 1 Peter 2, 2 says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So milk speaks of the elementary principles that are mentioned in the next few verses. We'll come back to that. The basic teachings talking about doctrines of our faith, like repentance, faith, baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection, and eternal judgment. And when we are new Christians, we should desire this milk, but over time, we need more. We just heard one of our precious little ones making some noise in the back, probably because he's a little bit hungry. Now, my guess is, as they went back into the mother's room, they're not grilling up a steak for him. Right? You, you just stick a steak in there and see how well he does with that. No, he's a baby. He needs milk. And we, as followers of Christ, when we're new believers, that's what we need. We need that milk. Now I'm going to say something that's really creepy and kind of gross. Imagine that same baby on his 21st birthday comes up and says, Hey, Mom, I'm hungry. And begins to nurse. Gross, sick, wrong. And I'm going to tell you a story that illustrates gross, wrong, and creepy. My wife used to work at a school years ago, before we even had kids. When we were first married, 
and I went down there one day to get her. One of our cars was in the shop or something, I remember. But I went down to get her, and there was a, it was what, six or seven? Walked over, lifted up his mother's shirt, and stuck his head underneath, and started nursing. And I was like, no! Just no, no, just no, no, stop it, no. Why? Because that's not the way it's supposed to be. But this is what happens to believers who never grow in their maturity in the way they approach the word of God. The person who has gone on to maturity, according to chapter 5, verse 14, has three things. First, they have reason of use, which is another way of saying they put into practice what they learn from the word of God. And we talked about this greatly in James chapter 1, because verse 22 tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Two, they have their senses exercised. In other words, their judgments and their perceptions, which is what senses mean there, right? Our ability to make good decisions, our ability to perceive the world around us in a way that is in line with what God has taught us and called us to, they practice those things. Psalm 119, 73 through 76, your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let, I pray, your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word to your servant. And finally, by reason of use, they have their senses exercised so they can discern good and evil. They can separate thoroughly good and evil. In other words, they clearly know where that line is. They can define it, recognize it, and act accordingly. That's what happens when you get into the word. You know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, black and white, right? This is okay, this is not okay. You know where that line is, and you don't have to wonder about whether or not you cross it. I'll give you a great example. This didn't happen to me. It happened to a pastor friend of mine. But they had someone, a gentleman, come in for counseling, and he looked at this pastor, and he said, you know, I'm really having a struggle. And, and okay, what's your struggle? Well, I'm praying about whether or not I should have an affair with this woman. Duh. Why would you pray about that? If someone, I'll just tell you, if you ever come into my office and say that to me, I will smack you. I will smack you hard. Right across the face. You can get as mad as you want, but that's just pure dumb. If you're in the word, right, you know better. But that shows the great immaturity that that person has. You don't have to pray about that. Lord, should I pray about stealing from my neighbor? Lord, should I? If you, Lord, I'm really, I'm really thinking about lying to my boss. I think it's a good idea. No, we know better. We know better when we're in the Word. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness 
which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we hear the word, we practice the word. Through that practice, our judgments and perceptions improve and we become more discerning. And that's only possible when we go on to maturity in our relationship and our approach to the word of God. And so that's where we pick up now in verse chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, right, because of everything we've just talked about, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So we are now exhorted to leave or lay aside the discussion of the elementary principles and move on to maturity in Christ. Now, Paul is not saying that there's anything wrong with the elementary principles of our faith. These are the foundational principles of our faith. We need to know these principles. We need to have them down, understand them. We need that. But we can't stay there. And we're watching the construction across the street. Anybody else? I see it because I drive out to the church most days of the week. And so I drive by, and one of the things that is boggling my mind, and my family gets mad at me because I mentioned it, every, well, mostly my kids, but every time I drive by, I say the same thing. Right? They started the BLM building almost a year before the warehouse that's going in next door to it. And the warehouse next door to it is farther along than the BLM building. And I know Andrew's got a little smile back there because he works for BLM. Um, and that's Bureau of Land Management, by the way, in case anybody else thinks it's something else. Um, and every time I drive by, I'm like, that's just silly to me. How can that happen? Right Now, just imagine that you have this idea, I'm going to build a building. And so you pour a great cement foundation. And then you sit in your lawn chair with a nice cool iced tea and go, look at my building. You have no building. You have a foundation, but you have no building. Or what if you tried to build the building, but didn't have the foundation? Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 7, which we'll get to in a little bit. Right? You have to have the foundation. Paul is not telling us that we don't have to learn about faith toward God or the doctrine of baptism. He's not saying, oh, just ignore that completely. No, we need that, but we can't stay there. There should not be a single believer in Christ who doesn't have a basic understanding of these elementary or foundational principles. Every one of us who has been a Christian for any length of time Right? So I'm not saying if you got saved last week or last month that you should have all this theology and doctrine down pat. I'm not saying that. But if you've been a Christian for a few years or longer, you should know this. You should understand these doctrines and you should be able to explain them from the scripture. These doctrines of repentance from dead works, which we talked about extensively in the book of Romans. The doctrine of faith toward God, which we also talked about in Romans, and we'll spend a lot of time when we get to Hebrews chapter 11. The doctrine of baptisms. I love that it's plural. You know there's three baptisms in the Bible? 
right? Everybody thinks about water baptism when we talk about water, when we talk about baptism. That's one of them. But there's also the baptism into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And there's also the baptism of the Holy Spirit that empowers us for faith and service. The, the doctrine of laying on of hands. Why do we lay hands on people? There are several reasons in Scripture. One is to, is to ordain them or to set them apart for some sort of ministry or calling. We also lay hands on people to pray over them. We lay hands on people. There's evidence in Scripture. If someone desires the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we may lay hands on them to, to pray for them to receive that. It's not us who gives them that baptism. God does that, but we can lay hands on them and pray for it. We also lay hands on the sick so that we can pray for their, what, their healing. Doctrine of laying on of hands. Resurrection of the dead, one of my favorites. Right? How many resurrections are there? Two. The resurrection of the saints to eternal life and the resurrection of those who have rejected Christ to eternal judgment. And that's the last one, the doctrine of eternal judgment. And we don't like to talk about eternal judgment, do we? Anybody? Anybody like talking about what's going to happen to the people who have rejected Christ? Well, sometimes. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm going to agree with you. That's why I laughed. Yeah, sometimes it's nice to think that all of those who have done all this wickedness in the world one day, if they don't repent, God will deal with. But eternal judgment. I, I, the importance of eternal judgment, because that's the bad news that makes the good news so good. If we don't know there's eternal judgment, then what good does it do us to be saved from it? There are plenty of cults and what I call offshoots of Christianity. They're not actually Christians. And I know that sounds judgmental. I'm just telling you what this says. Who believe there is no eternal judgment. If there's no eternal judgment, then I can do whatever I want and there will be no consequences for it. What is my motivation for accepting Christ as Savior? Right? We get saved from the fire that is never quenched, the worm that never dies, a place of outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is the lake of fire. That is eternal judgment. It's not for a little while. It's not you pay for a few of your sins and then you can go to heaven. There's no such thing as purgatory. None of that, no. Eternal judgment is eternal, and it is judgment. I don't like talking about it all that much. But that's the bad news. What's the good news? Well, Jesus died on the cross, so we would never have to experience that. How can a good God send people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. People choose it by rejecting Jesus Christ. God has done everything possible so that nobody has to go there. That's why he sent his son. That's why he died on the cross and rose again. That's why he offers us the free gift of salvation. All we have to do is believe. And even the faith to believe is a gift. And he gives that to us. You don't have to go there. And people reject it. Boggles my mind. Now, if there's anybody in here, or anybody listening online, who do not have a fundamental understanding or are unable to explain these doctrines from Scripture, I don't want you to feel bad about yourself. 
I don't want you to feel ashamed of that. But I do want you to do something about it. Study these doctrines so you can learn them and help others understand them. And now I put a line in here that if you need help, please let me know and I will gladly help you. And then the Lord convicted me and said, don't just say that, do something about it. Okay, so all this upcoming week, my daily devotionals are coming back. I took the month of July off. But on Monday, tomorrow, my daily devotionals, I'm going to start posting them again on Facebook and on YouTube and whatnot. All this week, I'm covering these foundational doctrines. One a day, except one day I had to cover two because there's six and there's only five days in a typical week. Well, there's seven days, but you know what I mean. Um, so one day, the day I do baptisms, I'm also going to talk about the laying on of hands because they do kind of go together. But I'm covering these doctrines all week long. I'm explaining them. I'm giving all the scriptures behind, not all the scriptures. I'm giving scriptures behind them. Not all, because that would take a long time. That would be books to write about each one. Um, but so if you need help with that, or you want to understand it, or you want to go uh, have a great place to take these doctrines and be able to learn and explain them, all week long, just check them out. They're, none of them are going to be particularly long, 12, 13 minutes a piece. Um, and we post them on the church's Facebook page. So there you go. And Paul goes on to say, this we will do if God permits. What will we do? Well, we will know and understand the elementary and foundational principles of our faith so we can move on to the deeper issues of our faith and then put them into practice. This is a sign of spiritual maturity. How do we do this? That's a good question, right? How do we do this? We prayerfully and intentionally make efforts to seriously engage in God's work. I'm going to say it again. We prayerfully and intentionally make efforts to seriously engage in God's work. Now, we cannot do this apart from the power and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus told us that he would send the Holy Spirit who would explain all things to us. He would take the words of God and give them to us. He's given them to us in the scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that the things of God are spiritually discerned by the Spirit of God in us. So we can't even understand what this says until we are filled with God's Spirit, which is one of the doctrines that are the foundational principles of our faith. But when the Spirit of God is in you as a follower of Christ, You'll read the Bible, and he will show you things. It is so cool. It is so cool. I love it. I love it when I'm listening to the word, or listening to a sermon, or I'm reading the Bible, and I learn something new. I love it. Yesterday, um, I went for a run, and sometimes when I go for a run, I listen to music. Sometimes I listen to a sermon. Yesterday, I was listening to a sermon, and I learned about the word enthusiasm. Now, the word enthusiasm doesn't actually appear in the Bible, but it does have a Greek root. And the Greek root is awesome. The word enthusiasm means to be filled with God. I didn't know that. I thought that was one of the coolest things I've ever learned. It means to be fuel, filled with God. And it was actually originally coined as a derogatory term not just for Christians, but for anybody who was zealous for their religion or their faith. Isn't that awesome? 
shouldn't we have enthusiasm in our lives? Shouldn't we be filled with God for everything? Imagine coming to church and not being enthusiastic. And I'm not saying running around or, or jumping on the chairs or anything. I'm just saying, shouldn't you be filled with God when you're here? Filled with God when you're at work? Filled with God when you're dealing with your family or, or ministering to a neighbor or whatever it might be? How, it's such a cool word. But we prayerfully, intentionally make efforts to seriously engage in God's word by doing, I put down seven things. One, we read the Bible. Seems simple, right? Open it and read it. We listen to it. That's why I love listening to sermons. Sometimes I listen to the Bible being read. I love hearing the word of God. Then we study it. That's a little different than just reading it. Right? Because you can read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But studying it takes on a whole different approach. What does it mean that God sent his son? Who is his son? How is he his son? Right? Then you start thinking about the implications of Jesus' sonship toward God, because he's not created. Yes, he did, was born as a human being, but conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then you can start going through all of that fun stuff. But for God so loved, what's the motivation behind it? His love that he sent. How did he send him? Right? You get the picture. It goes so much farther than, oh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? We got to deal with those issues. We got to deal. And that's one verse. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them in here. But you could spend weeks, months, books have been written just on that one verse. So you study it. You memorize it. Right? I just quoted John 3.16. There's a few others I've got. Not that many. And some I can quote and I don't remember where they're at. And some I can remember where they're at, but I don't know what they say. Right? I'm not saying you have to memorize the whole Bible. I've met pastors that have like they've memorized the whole Sermon on the Mount. I'm like, but, but it's written down. You know that, right? <laughs> uh, or they've met, I know I met one pastor who memorized the entire book of John. Yeah, you're just a better Christian than I am. Right? I, I, I've never memorized huge chunks of scripture like that. But I can mostly quote Psalm 23. When I'm stressed, I can tell you what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says. Right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, when I need direction... And then I do have some obscure Bible verses memorized. And I, don't ask me what they are, but if they came up, I'd be like, oh, yeah. I don't know why. Just certain verses stick. For the rest, they're written down. And if you don't know where it's at, you can Google it. I know, Google is a big, evil, faceless corporation. Sorry, don't kick me off Facebook. Um, many of them are. But I'll tell you what. I've got this fancy Bible software that I love. And it does wonders for me in helping me prepare for messages. But sometimes, because it's really picky when you're looking for something, if you don't know the exact wording, it won't find it for you. So sometimes I Google it. Right? I just Google verse about, you know, the sovereignty of God. And you know what? Google tells me where it's at. I love it. There's nothing, there's nothing unspiritual about it. But we do memorize the Bible. It's important to get God's word in our hearts. Then we meditate upon it. And I know this one, this is hard for us. 
Because in order to meditate on scripture, we have to get rid of distractions. We have to come back to it. The word for meditation in Greek, I love. It's the same word that's used for a cow chewing the cud. Right? So you chew on it and you swallow it. Then you puke it back up into your mouth and you chew on it some more and swallow it again. And you do that repeatedly. And I love to be able to do that with scripture. To be able to do it throughout the day. To take a, a scripture, what I'll do is if a scripture really gets me, I used to highlight all my Bibles, I stopped doing that. Now if a scripture really gets me, I write it down, or I put it in my phone, and I come back to it over and over and over again. Because it's, it's good for us, right? And, and you can take any verse, and it might be a verse that if I shared it with you, that that verse had special meaning to me that day, you'd be like, oh, that, I, that doesn't mean anything to me, and that's fine. Because that's what God gave me that day from his word. Right? But he wants to give that to you. You got to listen. Then we have to apply it, right? What good does it do us? Yeah, I read my Bible every day, four or five chapters. I listen to a sermon every day on my way to work. I study the Bible a couple of days a week. I sit down and get really serious about getting into a couple verses. Then I memorize those verses and I meditate on them. And then when I leave the house to go drinking with my buddies and to hire prostitutes, I've got all that in my life. Whoa, wait, no. No. We've missed a step. Because you have to apply it. You can take all of that in. You can know it. You can quote it. But if you're not living it out by the power of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean any good. And finally, we proclaim it. Go into all the world make disciples of all nations, teaching them all the things I've taught you, and baptizing them. That's our command. Oh, well, that's what pastors are supposed to do. Yes. That's what missionaries are supposed to do. Yes. That's what evangelists are supposed to do. Yes. That's what teachers are supposed to do. Yes. That's what business owners are supposed to do. That's what retired folks are supposed to do. Yes. Or, and it's not fair because I know you all. Mechanics, hairdressers, nurses. I know you. Construction workers, bus drivers, city market employees, bug scientists, art history majors. Right? I know you. It's, it's kind of unfair. Pickleball players. all of us. All of us are to proclaim the word of God. Now, all seven of these things show up in all of these verses I'm about to read. 1 Timothy 4, 13 and 15. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that was in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. 1 Timothy 4, 13 and 15 is a recipe for growing in our faith, for growing in our maturity. Read the Bible. Exhort others with the Bible. Study the doctrine. Don't neglect your gifts. Meditate on it. Give yourself entirely to it. And then everyone will see you progress. Psalm 119, 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do we hide the word in our heart? We memorize it. 
right? And I don't care if you got it word for word. I don't even care if you remember the address, right? But if you're stressed, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, 4, 6, and, 7 and Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 32, or 31, two of the best verses in all of scripture. I can't, I can quote the Philippians verse verbatim. I, the Matthew verse, I always mess something up, but it's still in there. Some of the verses I know, but I couldn't tell you where they're at. I can tell you older New Testament. Sometimes I can get the book. But the point is, you hold on to this. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I love this. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, Exhort with all long-suffering or patience and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all these things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And I've heard people say, Paul was writing to Timothy, who was a young pastor. That doesn't apply to me. If it's in here, it applies to me. I don't care who the audience, the original audience was. God put it in here because he wants you to know it, understand it, and live it out. Now, living out this whole book, that's really hard. Being honest, but you are expected to know it and to understand it and by the power of the Holy Spirit, live it out. Be watchful. Why? Because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Folks, that time has come. It's going to sound harsh. It's going to sound mean. There are other churches in our town that are teaching false doctrine. There are. It's not because I don't like them. I actually know the pastors. I think they're, they're decent guys. But they are leading their people to hell by teaching them false doctrine. That burdens my heart. It makes me angry. Ask my wife. Oh, she's seen a side of me that you guys haven't seen. She, she's seen it many times on many different occasions. I get hot under the collar, as it were, when I hear about that stuff. We were talking about sheep without a shepherd this morning in Sunday school. We have people who love and want to know Jesus Christ who are sitting in churches right now that instead of being taught how to love and follow Christ and how to love and serve their community, they're being led to an eternity apart from him because they're being given false teaching. That burdens me. I am the way I am when it comes to teaching the word of God because I don't want that to be true. And I don't want to stand before God one day and have him go, you led those people astray. Uh-uh. I'm not saying my theology is perfect or that I know everything in the Bible perfectly from beginning to end. I want to be faithful to this book. Be 
some people will say, well, you know, you should be more flashy on a Sunday morning. I've had people say that to me. Nobody's sitting here. But I've had people say, oh, if you were just more flashy on a Sunday morning, maybe you'd get more people. I don't care. I don't care if I'm more flashy. Right? We will never have fog machines on a Sunday morning. Any idea how horrible that is on the throat? The chemicals that those things spit out? Never going to happen. Yeah, we're going to have some fun songs, because I love music. But we're never going to have songs that are theologically inaccurate. And I know that sounds odd, but we never will. We just, I and our elders, we're in agreement on this. That's not going to happen in this. I am always going to preach this way. And if somebody else fills in for me, whether it's one of the elders or someone from outside, they are going to teach this book. Or I will stop them. I will correct them, and they won't come back. And you know what? Maybe our seats won't be as full as fast. But I'll tell you what. People who are here are going to learn. They're going to grow. And they're going to get closer to Jesus Christ, I hope. Pastor Chuck. Love Pastor. I'm going to get done, I promise. I'm almost there. Pastor Chuck used to say his encouragement to all pastors was to make your church, no matter the size, no matter the income, no matter the budget, none of that, to make them the best loved and best fed my goal. Every week I tell you I love you and there's nothing you can do about it because I do. I love you. And you can't stop me from loving you. You can't. Period. And I don't care what anybody says and I don't care how slow the process is. You will be the best fed sheep in Jackson. This book will always be at the forefront of my message. 2 Timothy 2.15 Now that I've told you why I do what I do, it's your turn. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That word diligent can also be translated study. So some translations will say study and the word present to can mean show. So study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. As we close, these exhortations and instructions from God's word are not just for pastors. They're not just for Bible scholars. They're not just professors or some other elite group who is expected to know and understand the Bible. This is for every person who is a follower of or apprentice to Jesus. Jesus prayed for us in John 17, 17, that his father would set us apart from the rest of the world, and he does this through the truth of his word. We are told in 2 Peter 3, 18, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Growing in his grace by learning more about him is a command to all believers. Peter began his second epistle by saying, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Do you want more of his grace? Do you want more of his peace? Then you have to know him more. 
because his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through emotional experiences and fog machines. Through shiny and, and, and upbeat music. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. He has given us everything we need for a life of godliness by knowing him. And he has revealed himself to us through his word. I say it a lot. Experiences are awesome. My son just spent a week at camp. Some good experiences, some challenging experiences. You come back, it's awesome. I've had so many amazing experiences with God. So many mountaintop moments, as they call them. I love it. But if your faith is based on experience, you are in so much trouble. Because guess what happens with experiences? They change. A great experience can be shot down real quick by a horrible one. Or emotional experience. Right? What's the problem with emotion? I love emotions. I I'm an emotional person. If you know anything about the Enneagram, look up a number four on the Enneagram. That's me. Everything in my life is processed through emotion. I know that. I am capable of great highs and low lows of everything in between. If my faith was based on my emotion, that's not going to be good. Because when I'm feeling good, then my faith in God is good. When I'm having a bad day, my faith in God will disappear. Yet there are churches in the world and in our town that all they want to do is give you experience and emotion because they know that'll get butts in seats. And those people are going to fail in their faith. And the people that go there are going to get hurt. And it's going to destroy the witness of the church in this county and this city. stop I'm getting angry just so you know my wife can see that I don't want you to but a faith that is based on the word of God is immovable it's immovable that's why Jesus told us in Matthew 7 24 through 27 whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. What's the foundation of the rock? Hearing his word and living it out. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. You want your life to stand you want your faith to stand, as Hebrews was telling us earlier on in the book. If you want to continue steadfast from beginning to end, you need a foundation that's immovable. That foundation is in his word. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to yell at you. I'm really not. I love you. I'm, I'm just really passionate about this. Right? This is the foundation. Not experience. Not flash not emotion, the word of God.
So what do we do? I do this every week. I ask some terribly hard questions. Well, you begin with the elementary or foundational principles of our faith. For some listening, this may mean coming to know Christ as Savior for the first time. Maybe you don't even have that yet. That's, that's first. Right? And if you need help with that, let me know. If you're online, send me a message, leave us a comment. For others who know Jesus, it may mean studying so you can learn and understand these foundational principles. As I said earlier, this is not, I'm not judging you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I don't want you to go home and go, man, I'm such a terrible Christian. I can't explain the doctrine of baptism. That's not what this is about. Because I want you to know. I want you to learn and grow in those things. And so if you need help with that, tune in to the Where the Caffeinated Pastor on YouTube or our Facebook page. All week long, we're going to talk about those things. Once you have them, or if you already have them, it's time to move forward into maturity in Christ. And this comes from your own personal, dedicated, and serious commitment to engaging in the Word of God. This means going beyond the elementary so you can understand the Bible, so you can interpret it, so you can explain it, and so you can proclaim the Word of God. And this doesn't mean you have to be a pastor or a Bible scholar. It does mean that as a follower of Christ, you are studying to show yourself approved to God as one of his followers and servants who will not be ashamed because you have handled the Word of God properly in your own life. And if you need help with that, this is what I do. Come and talk to me. I will teach you how to study this book how to interpret it properly, how to share it with other people. I'll teach you, because that's what God has called me to do. Finally, I'm just going to give you one more thing as a warning from our master. Jesus himself, I know I've already gone over the 52-minute time limit, and I just don't care. I love you all. But in Luke chapter 12, 42 through 48, the Lord said, Who then? is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask more. So my apologies. I've given you a lot. Which means you're accountable for it. God has given us all of it. And we are all accountable for it. Like I said, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to tear you down. One day, we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. 
Now, not for eternal punishment, because we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Hallelujah. But we will stand before the reward seat of Christ, where we will be held accountable. And for the things that we did according to his will, with the motivation of the love of Christ, we will be rewarded for. And the things that we didn't, we will lose reward for. I want to get there and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want you to hear that. And God has tasked me with teaching you how. Now, I'm not perfect. You know that. You saw it today. Some of my imperfections started oozing out. Thanks, Roy. Right, so don't not about being perfect and it's also not about doing this alone I can't be me without your support and God brought me here to support you in becoming who, 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 who he's created you to be so we do it together and I'll tell you what it's so much more fun that way let's pray Father I love you thank you for loving me and I thank you for your grace because even though I said all of this stuff this morning I know there are times when I fail at it and so I pray for your forgiveness and I know from everybody listening that I'm surely not the only one who fails so we ask for your forgiveness and we ask for your strength to move forward to grow in maturity in Christ not just so we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but so that we, by your power and your grace, can share your love with the world around us so others can hear it as well. May we be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name.